politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, civilization, culture, our right to bodily autonomy and everything in between, all that matters. Uh, That sounds like a pretty universal goal, but frankly, I can't find any other fake conservative talk show that truly is independent, willing to focus on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time that matters. That's why I need you to subscribe here at CR Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Please leave us a five-star rating and helps us rise above the clamor. Folks, I had to peel myself away because it was time to do the show, but just out of nowhere, very quietly, Florida Governor DeSantis announces yet another initiative. He is banning all CRT, all equity uh, studies, bureaucracies in all state universities, and he announced a bunch of proposals to make the education focus on what we want it to be. Isn't that novel? Why should a red state, we're talking about public, not private institution, public, why shouldn't it reflect the values of the majority of the people in the state the same way their states reflect their values? Well, no, our states reflect their values too. I'm looking at the dichotomy between Florida and every other state, and I'll tell you I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a bad mood because in Wyoming, we couldn't even pass a bill to end mandates, much less take the death shots off the market. It's just truly, truly disgusting. Truly disgusting. This is the leadership we've been missing all along because we don't have a movement focused on any substance. And this is the choice. See, I don't care about the presidential election because to me, if you can't fix Wyoming, then you ain't fixing Washington. To me, we need national divorce. But most people disagree in the presidential election is everything. I don't understand how you look at one man every single day. It's not about him. Doesn't make it about him. Every day, it's one issue after another. He wakes up and says, how could we move the ball? Illegal immigration, crime. Everyone talks about crime. They won't do anything about it. The sentencing, the death penalty. We barely have the death penalty anymore. Boom, does it. Doesn't say one thing and then does the opposite. One after another. And somehow now, oh no, really, he's a secret globalist. But the man who's sodomizing Lindsey Graham every day, saddling us with Mick Crap. Mick Crap. Mick Carthy, Mick Connell, and Mick Daniel as the RNC chair. Do you know she won two to one over her meat, who was endorsed by DeSantis, by the way? Every second, wherever we go, Trump's screwing us. So we have half the time vanity. It's all about personality. It's all about vanity. It's about him. There's no agenda. It's all about him. His constant mooning of us. I'm sick of this already. I'm sick of the fact that we've gone so many years. Everyone's scared to say anything because no one wants to look like they're a rhino. Like, oh, no, no, Trump is the end all. I don't care. My record stands for itself. We're not about any person. I don't care. I don't even want DeSantis to run, frankly. I want to just leave the federal government to rot and um, break off. Unfortunately, he's term limited. That's part of the problem. If, if he weren't, I'd really push for him to stay there forever. Unfortunately, you have states like Texas and North Dakota that don't have term limits, so we're stuck with these rhinos. But everywhere we turn, he endorsed McCarthy and, and dumped on the guys that were fighting for better, better rules. Endorsed McDaniel, like why, senselessly. And then we have this Tony Gonzalez guy in Texas who's single-handedly blocking legislation, Chip Roy's bill, to block and turn around all illegals because he says, oh, I want asylum. By the way, he voted for gay marriage marriage and gun control. That was another gratuitous Trump endorsement. Every time we try to fix the system, he drains us rather than the swamp. So we're going to have Pedro Gonzalez, one of the great young minds of our movement, Really one of the greatest. He doesn't get enough credit, so that's why I'm going to elevate him on this show. Um, Another truly independent person, and he was always a MAGA kind of populist, nationalist type of guy, not even so much a traditional conservative. 
and he recognizes that the grift around Trump. I don't care. You want to run for president? Fine. You want to have a debate? That that's fine. I'm all for that. Debating, you know, different positions. If you have a proper primary, we win. Each one goes to the right and promises a new direction. Direction, but instead, it's just vanity, where he tries to say, "Oh no, no." The to this day, he says the vaccines save millions and the lockdowns. He says save millions, but somehow. DeSantis really was bad on lockdowns. Oh, okay. Because he didn't vigorously oppose Trump himself early and vigorously enough. So the fact that shortly afterwards he fought it and then fought the localities, that doesn't matter. It's all the same. Well, you know, Trump supports it to this day. DeSantis didn't fully fight everything. Like, I'm even hearing, oh, well, he DeSantis didn't fight the vaccines on January 2021. Well, no one did. It wasn't a tenable political position. And aside from a few very smart people in the scientific medical conservative movement, no one, I myself didn't even know about it. So somehow, yeah, it's all the same. Really, we're going to have this vanity? This is what we're going to do? This man could do so much good on primaries and policy. He could do what I'm doing, but more successfully, because he has the name. He could go around demanding in all these legislatures They pass medical freedom. Oh, whoops, Trump doesn't support it. I guess that's why he can't do it. He could have this agenda. What DeSantis is doing in Florida, but he's just one governor. He can't run around dictating to other states. Trump could could hold rallies in legislative sessions and support our cause. But instead, we're left with nothing. But we're left with what's worse than we had before Trump. Our movement was growing before Trump. We went backwards on policy. We went backwards on personnel. We went backwards on primaries because he endorsed them and he distracted. At best, he distracted. At worst, he fought us. Everywhere you turn, illegal immigration, it was worse under Trump than under Obama. Fewer deportations, by the way. Crime, he talked about crime and then he let out all the drug traffickers and then talks about it now. It's unbelievable. The only thing he served as a conduit into our movement to get people who know better to otherwise stand down because they can't remain independent. I'll tell you this much. If DeSantis ever takes a position that's contrary to what I'm pushing, I'm not going to suddenly support that. No one's like that on that side. But I'm not going to be like one of these guys, and you know what I'm talking about. Well, they're both good. I like them both. Let's just not fight. No. No, let's have a debate over it. I'm not going to shy away from taking a strong position. Now, I'm more for the issues than I am a person, and I'm more really for a model of working to find DeSantis's in every state, you know, governor, attorney general, secretary of state, legislature, county position that I am running for president, but most of these people debating this don't share my view, and to them the presidential race is everything, well, so then who who more do you want to have to run? Both in terms of policy outcomes and electability, I mean, when have you ever had someone bring along that package? All right, you, you could ask questions, verify his views on every issue, that's fine. Like, look at what he's doing prima facie. Somehow that doesn't matter. If I, oh, but there's a donor that believes in this. Whereas with Trump, prima facie, he's endorsing McCarthy. He's endorsing Jailbreak. He's in, running around with Lindsey Graham. He's endorsing Rona McDaniel. He's dumping on prima facie the freaking death shots. He's saying saved 100 million people. He is more supportive of it than even the CDC is. And again, it's not just that this is one issue. It's not just that this is a fulcrum of multiple issues of the Great Reset, which is every issue. And remember, it's every issue because all he cares about is election fraud, but he actually never took up that mantle when we pushed it. We used to do shows on election fraud. He never cared. It was only because of his honor that he lost. So that's why he's into it. But the entire 2020 election was built off the Great Reset. It was built off him agreeing to the lockdowns. Him having Burks and Meadows go and pressure DeSantis 
to say you're not doing enough on COVID. That's what it was. It was his vanity. He's shameless. He will literally do something and then criticize you for not vigorously opposing him enough. But somehow that's not a rip on him. It's so bizarre. And you have all these grifters out there that have earned their name off of Trump Inc. Not what he was perceived as standing for, but him as a person, and they'll never move off of it. It's all vanity. But it's not just that. It's what it represents. What it represents is that this man he is so ego-driven. It, everything's a scorecard. It's not about the betterment of society. That he will double down on something beyond belief. See, here's the important thing. We have these catalyzing events that change society. And they come with things, oh, are, the, the people are dying. This is happening. Ukraine, this and that. And at the, at the very beginning, there's almost nobody elected that fights it. Seldomly are things irrevocable, like shooting an arrow, shooting a bullet. It's usually gradual. Every day you could make a decision to change course as information comes out. I'm not so bothered by who fought everything 100% from day one. That person doesn't exist. The answer is nobody. Not a single elected official did. The, The question is, who shortly afterwards, when you actually get the information, is willing to go with the update information. I've always said, I don't blame him for warp speed. I blame him for two and a half years later, after everything we know, refusing to recognize and scoffing at those who are saying people are dying from it. And again, he's not, it's not just on, on this, even on lockdowns, which are universally repudiated. He's still pimping it. But what we need to do is rebuild a culture. And, and that's what's happening in Florida. And speaking of rebuilding a culture, part of that is supporting our own businesses for vital products and services. One vital product is soap, soap and shampoo. Okay, we all need that. You could support Zest and Dove that are pimping the homosexual agenda, or you could support a Florida Christian homeschooling family that has their own business, their own farm. Quinn Pittman, QPGoatSoap.com. QP stands for Quinn Pittman. He's a 15-year-old homeschooler in Volusia County, Florida, New sponsor last year, and we're continuing this partnership this year. Um, In our family, we only use QP Goat Soap now. Actually, we just went away, and the kids wanted to bring it because they didn't want to use what was there. It smells heavenly. It's full of natural ingredients um, like palm oil, rich in vitamins. Uh, Believe it or not, what you put on your skin is just as important as what you eat and what you put into your body because it all gets absorbed there. And they have all sorts of different uh, different types of soap, different types of um, shampoo. They're also coming out with other, uh, other products that I want you guys to watch for. Um, again, qpgoatsoap.com, promo code Daniel for 10% off. You're supporting the American dream. You're supporting parallel economies. You're supporting our own Blaze family our own Sierra podcast family, all built off of one 15-year-old's dream of having goats and making something out of it. Originally it was cheese, and now it's uh, it's goat soap. This is the way to go, all natural. Um, and by the way, uh, he, he doesn't plan on wasting four years of, of college. He plans on going straight into his trade, although perhaps after DeSantis uh, fixes the universities, maybe it'll be worthwhile. But again, go to qpgoatsoap.com. Um, promo code Daniel for 10% off. Truly, truly honored to continue this partnership into the new year. And by the way, the new year is just going by the fir- first month in, a, in the can already. And, and I feel desperate that the first month of these legislative sessions, we've barely done anything. But here we have in Wyoming, Wyoming, HB 66 is dead. 
we have literally CDC admitting this is a death shot. Do you, you know there's, there's, there's a new study out about prion disease. Kreutzfeldt-Jakob, which we're warning about for a long time, makes your brain go to mush. There's a study out from France, co-authored posthumously because he died, Luc Montagnier, the Nobel Prize winner for discovering HIV. No, no small man. And this thing is such a death shot. And this is what we know and what we're discovering. This thing should be criminalized in every state. Yet all we wanted to do is just ban mask mandates, ban vaccine mandates. Yet to this day, three years into this fascism, we now don't have a single law that we were able to pass Three consecutive sessions in the freaking state of Wyoming with a 57 to 5 and 29 to 2 GOP majority. Limiting emergency powers, limiting lockdowns, limiting abuse of human rights, limiting masks, limiting vaccine mandates, much less taking them off the market. So this was a simple bill, HB 66, categorically no mandates. Okay? That's all it was. And it got defeated on the floor. 29 to 32. The five most powerful Democrats in the country. You have five freaking Democrats in the country, in, in the in the in the state, not even enough to populate each committee. Yet it was something like 29 to 28 Republicans. We just got a majority, but those five Dems, they got a majority. And the bill's dead. And and the stuff that was said is just disgusting by the way just so you know because of this vanity and we're always focused on rote politics and not policy outcomes this is how we've gone on for years states that vote 70 30 republican in presidential elections you have elected republican governors and state legislative leadership that hates us more than the democrats they hate you and me it's it's hard to give over but there's something about the Republicans. They're I, like I admire the Democrats. They're consistent. They're principled. They're, they're done. These people, they lie and scheme, and they hate us. Well, the feelings mutual. But basically, these guys are saying we don't want to lose any federal funding. We're too scared. The, so the game they played was this. They said, "Well, wait a minute." If you go after hospitals, that's part of the CMS mandate. That's going to run amok the feds. We're going to lose our Medicare Medicaid funding. Now, a couple things about that. First of all, this is exactly what's wrong with red states. They're a bunch of whores for the federal government. Number two, it's actually wrong. The feds, believe it or not, are winding down the CMS mandate. No one will tell you there's no threat they're going to go after you. Florida is not having that problem. Okay, they're not going to do that. Number three, okay, you want to compromise, take hospitals out of it. At least somewhere. You know, I was saying it's not enough. You need to get rid of it in the hospitals, and we do. But in, in Wyoming, they didn't get rid of it anywhere. At least the school children. To this day, there is nothing stopping the Department of Health and the governor and the state localities from criminalizing the breathing of humanity. Let's not forget Grace Smith. 16-year-old girl was in handcuffs, arrested in Cheyenne for not wearing a mask. And this wasn't like the first few months. This was October 2021, a year and a half into this. In Wyoming, it was still ubiquitous. And after that, that same school district renewed it. And no reaction from the legislature or the governor to block it because they support it. So... That whole thing is a straw man. At least do it everywhere else except for hospitals that doesn't run amok the CMS mandate. But it was a fraud. So this guy, Barry Crago, dirtbag rhino, made a poison amendment and, and voted to say, hey, well, we're going to lose funding, so the state's going to have to pay $847 million in Medicare funding. So it made it like a fiscal issue. So he attached the amendment that if the feds cut off funding, we're going to have to kick in $847 million to the bill, so the amendment passed, adding that provision to the bill, and then, oh, well, now the bill is going to be too expensive. 
So mind you, these dirtbags had no problem whatsoever, whatsoever, spending billions in a tiny red state from the Department of Health on Joseph Mengele, on promoting the shots, on locking people down, on pimping, contact tracing, spying, all this voodoo that everyone knows didn't work. Suddenly now to rectify it, they become fiscal conservatives. So 32 knows, you know, 28 Republicans, including Speaker Albert Summers, voted on the side of medical tyranny. And you look, almost everyone got money from the Wyoming Medical Association, WIOPAC, and Pfizer. Every one of them. It's, it's amazing. I'm going to have a list of them. And um, this guy who is the committee chair, Dan Zwanitzer, who's supposedly sodomizes a man. And I only say that because why should why why do we know that? I'm I'm openly gay. Okay, so what wait we 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 have to hear about the sexual activities of heterosexual people? Like we don't usually hear about that. Like why does that make that that that's what you are? How many times a week do you have sex? Is that like a a a, a identity or something? But but that's what he's known for. So that's what you got there is committee chair. And he had the nerve to invoke pro-life rhetoric. He said it's a game of chicken with the feds. Is it fair or right that they'll cut off funding? I don't know. But you don't want to risk people's lives. We can't afford to be playing with this many people's lives that are in the hospitals and critical care facilities. So wait a minute. He doesn't care about playing Russian roulette with the lives of people mandating. Mandating that you put the shot in. But somehow you have a fundamental right to Medicare funding but you don't have a right to not have something, a death shot be jabbed in you. That's the perverted thought process of these dirtbags. Another fecal matter, Jerry Obermuller from Casper, he invoked a story about a pastor once told his father that the smallpox vaccine was a gift from God and... um, and how, uh, how amazing the shots are, and we're responsible for our community to save everyone. I'm like, what do you, wait. First of all, they took the other shots out of the bill. It's only the COVID shot. And second of all, this is a mandate bill. Okay, we're not taking away your ability to get those other shots. You can get as many as you want. No one's blocking that. Okay? We're talking about mandates it's a gift of God. So any any medical procedure I believe is a gift of God, I could mandate on Jerry Obermuller's body? What a piece of garbage. I'm telling you, the Republicans believe in the Democrat issues more than the Democrats do. Democrats just want control. Republicans actually believe in it. Most Democrats are kind of like wink and nod. They know this thing is killing people. The Republicans actually still believe in the COVID shots more than the Democrats do. So this is what we have there. We haven't even gone after the masks in schools, the lockdowns, anything, closing churches, nothing that was done has been rectified in the state of Wyoming. And this applies to a lot of these red states. Wyoming's particularly bad because there's not even a watered-down version of anything that they've passed on COVID. Nothing. And now we're done. Now we're done. In most states, you can no longer introduce legislation. The governor, the Department of Health, they could legislate your body 365 days a year. But through the legislature, you have three minutes. Uh, now we have to wait, for, wait another year for legislation. How's that for representative government? Truly disgusting. But this is what we needed, a voice. Could you imagine if Trump lived up to his reputation from all the MAGA Inc. people and Populist Inc. and Trump Inc. people? And he would go around and work with us on these issues and the primary challengers. But it's all about him. And, and look at this contrast. Liz Cheney, when the people truly got a choice and they knew what she was about, she lost. She got less than 30% in the primary. Yet that state is full of Liz Cheney's. And we can't get them out. Because the only effort that ever, ever arises is if it's against Trump personally. And I say personally, because remember, 
even McConnell, Trump preemptively endorsed him in 2020, which is why we couldn't get rid of him. He only turned against him once it became personal with impeachment. Had nothing to do with the policies that McConnell was doing. So you had all, remember all those clowns during the speaker's fight? You know, they're following Trump's cue of endorsing McCarthy. They're like, Daniel, McCarthy's not the problem. It's McConnell. Yeah, you idiot. And when I tried to get rid of him, we couldn't because your buddy preemptively endorsed him. Do you know during the Trump era, we had the worst record in modern history of knocking out incumbent rhinos in primaries because Trump preemptively endorsed every one of them, except for the handful that it became personal with. Do we really have time for personal vanity? Is this really what we're going to do? Again, I would welcome a vigorous primary where each one is proposing better policies than the next and we're winners. But I think as you can tell, this is not what it's going to be. His game is... He's full of mud. He's in the mud. His whole body's covered with it. So nothing ever sticks to him. Doesn't matter. He can engage in sodomy with Lindsey Graham on live TV. It won't matter. He's still Trump, and I love Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. But what he's able to do is grab the heel of his opponent and get it dirty. Well, you see, you're like me too. There's no difference. That's the game. He actually attacks you at your strong point, not your weakest point. He did that in 2016 too. What have we gotten out of the last seven years or so of this endless Trump show where our entire agenda is beholden to one man? What have we gotten from that? Where are we today? Don't tell me these ephemeral accomplishments that were temporary and got reversed. In totality, at the end of the day, are, you, are we better off economically, socially, culturally, liberty-wise, security-wise, crime-wise, today or before. And what Trump did is he activated the left as if he was the most right-wing guy around. And then he either didn't do anything to fight it or he downright endorsed the problems. So we get the worst of all worlds. The worst of all worlds. Again, I don't even care. Honestly, he can't win a general election. I don't even know if anyone could, but he certainly can't. And even if you could, you're not going to fix the 90-10 Rhino Senate. You're not going to fix DOJ and DOD. I don't care. But what I do care is about the platform of running for president. What that influences, what we do in the few spheres that we could actually influence anything. But I'm just so pissed off. I think I'll bring in our guest now before I blow a gasket on you guys. So folks, as I mentioned, one of the bright young voices in this movement, and when I say movement, I just mean independent, independent movement to focus on civilization outcomes, not the rote politics, the raw, you know, tit for tat, is Pedro Gonzalez. Um, really, I've really been paying attention to a lot of what he puts out. Terrific writer. He writes for Chronicles Magazine. Um, make sure to subscribe. He has a great Substack, Contra. Contra.substack.com. C-O-N-T-R-A. He's also on Twitter at E-M-E-R-I-T-I-C-U-S. So you get that correctly. Um, really high quality, but also really consistent. And he has some really important thoughts on this because he's been a part of this populism from day one. He was never part of Conservative Inc., even less so than myself. And, you know, he has been sounding the alarm about a lot of disturbing trends that you have this entire populist MAGA Trump movement that had a lot of good potential, the movement be behind it, um, to move away from a lot of the failures of Con Inc., and it properly diagnosed them, but then kind of the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's just rather than, you know, conning being all about Republican, Republican. So this is all about Trump, 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 but never about securing outcomes. So with us today is Pedro himself. Hey, Pedro, thanks so much and welcome back to CR Podcast. 
Daniel, thank you so much for having me. Alrighty, so I'm I'm really upset. I don't mind having a vigorous campaign and debate and debating the merits of things, but suddenly I'm I'm watching all these guys. Suddenly DeSantis is really a rhino. All this stuff is fake. You know, everything you did on higher education today, everything on every issue, crime, illegal immigration, medical freedom, everything Trump does through the front door is somehow not a problem. Somehow like died suddenly, which is the biggest pro-life issue I could ever imagine. Somehow doesn't matter. It's like, okay, they're all kind of equal. And I don't know, like if, if I saw these people at the forefront of the issues I'm pushing, but then they also kind of like Trump, I, 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 I can understand that. But is this becoming all about just the man? Yeah, <clears throat> no, I'm afraid that it is. And you're right. It, it puts people like me, in a precarious position because there's little profit in going up against both conservatism Inc., which is a term that I think everyone understands and has become ubiquitous, right? But, but there's another Inc. too. And I've referred to it as populism Inc., but I'm increasingly referring to it to be more on the nose as MAGA Inc. And what I mean by that is that these are two sides of the same coin at this point. And I, I think that when you look at what the Trump campaign is doing and what its focus is on, it's really difficult to reconcile it with this idea of a movement that's dedicated to, to something like America first. And so what I mean by that is that at, as it stands, it seems like the Trump campaign's primary focus is tearing down the governor of Florida, who hasn't officially declared a run yet. And worst of all, the way that this is happening is by distorting the records of both DeSantis and Trump. And it's this kind of like all out war that's being waged on DeSantis. And it just seems like such a ridiculous waste of time of all the things that you want to focus your time and efforts on. You want to go to war with the governor of Florida, right? Like that's your number one issue according to team Trump. And then not only that, but going to war with the governor of Florida on his record on COVID and trying to convince your supporters <laughs> that the governor of Florida was actually one of the worst people on COVID. Like, this is an absolute circus, and it doesn't serve anything constructive. And we can go, I mean, this, this is just, uh, this is the, the first shot across the ballot I'm setting, and we can get into, like, the specifics of why this is ridiculous. But I think you have to start by understanding that it is a tremendous waste of time and resources and people's emotional investments to really make the focus of Trump's 2024 campaign taking on Governor DeSantis. So I want to start a little bit from, you know, a back route. And I was hoping all along that Trump would would learn from his policy personnel mistakes and, you know, get better for this campaign. Um, I was happy that Jared and Ivanka seemed not to be a part of this anymore. It's like, all right, well, maybe maybe things will improve. But then everywhere I turn, it's McCarthy, it's Rona McDaniel, and, and that one was like universal. Everyone agreed, you know, you know, if not on principle, just based on she didn't have any great logistics ideas. Her meat seemed to have innovative ideas on winning elections, and no one liked her. And gratuitously works the phones for her, pals around with Lindsey Graham in a way that's like bizarre. Like, somehow yeah. DeSantis is a neocon, which I don't understand, but then, like, the Lindsey Graham thing is okay. I mean, I don't—is there any sign that the personnel problems we had, like Kelly, Mattis, Tillis, pretty much everyone except for Russ Vogt, um, you know, heck, even Christopher Ray. Christopher Ray was not a holdover. That was his—you know, we had that opportunity to fill that— is there any inkling that the personnel problems have changed? No. <clears throat> In fact, they're worse, I think. And again, this all, it, it's just, it's simply insane that we have to talk about this, but it all somehow gets deflected through this bizarre fixation on DeSantis. And I mean, I guess it's not bizarre if you, if you accept that the Trump campaign is uh, apparently deeply afraid of the governor. But what I mean by that is that, remember, Harmeet represented, she provided Trump with legal representation, right? She's someone who has put a profession mm. and her name 
on the line for Trump. But the moment that DeSantis said something nice about her, important parts of, of Trump's influencer base on, on social media, and if you're not on social media, uh, God bless you and don't ever get on, <laughs> but these people try to influence the conversation. Well, the moment that DeSantis said something nice about her, people turned on Harmeet. Uh, suddenly she became yeah. kind of a crypto leftist, or, or, or worse, part of DeSantis's secret plot to make him look bad uh, by endorsing he didn't endorse her. He just said something nice about her. But they took it as an endorsement of, of a candidate other than Ronna McDaniel, who overnight, we all forgave Ronna McDaniel, right? That was the Trump campaign's – there were two lines of attack. One, he didn't publicly endorse her, which is absolute nonsense. His, his gatekeeper, Susie Wiles, who runs his fundraising operations and Trump's endorsements operations, she's the CEO of the Save America Leadership Pact. She has been paid – almost $300,000 by Rana's RNC since just last summer. And she openly went to war with even people to her right uh, to, excuse me, she went to war with members of Trump's support base who were critical of Rana. She, she told the Associated Press that the attacks from the right against Rana were all baseless. And, and she suggested that anybody who was basically criticizing Rana for mismanaging funds and bullying elections was was lying this is this is trump's gatekeeper right wow. oh but he didn't publicly endorse her it's absolute nonsense and, and and then again we all just decided that ron is fine why well because team trump told us that she was fine the same thing happened that's, with mccarthy that's what bothers me i well, wait i want i want to stop there i don't mean to cut you off because you're saying something very profound let's cut trump out of this one of the things that pained me and i was you know doing this a little bit before you, I guess I have some a little bit of a little bit of gray hair on you. Um, so you know, I started in this earlier, a little bit older. And the thing that always pained me is that the issues never mattered. It was always like they'll accommodate themselves for the Republicans. So when the Republicans became into sodomy, all of a sudden we're all into that. And whatever, and, and that's what bothered us about Con Inc. That it really was yeah. a fraud, and when you looked at it, it really was just a protection racket for the GOP. There was nothing really independently conservative about it. So in comes Trump, you know, channels a lot of the anger, a lot of the concerns, and now they're doing the same thing with the guy, but even more vigorously because nobody ever supported a GOP establishment figure the way the base loves Trump. So it's like, oh, so – Rona's great and her meat sucks. Okay, yeah. Okay, so DeSantis sucks. Oh, oh, I guess that's okay. Oh, yeah. You know the vaccines are horrible. Oh, Trump just says they're great. Yeah, I guess they're not so so much a problem. I mean, I'll never forget when um in twenty sixteen, um there was a period of time and it had to do with Newt Gingrich. I don't remember. It was like a couple months before the general. It was a general election. Trump was waffling on immigration. He was like teetering on his policy. What would he say with the Dream Act? And Sean Hannity perceived that he would go in one direction. He's like, oh, the Dream Act is fine. And then the next day, kind of, you know, Trump went the right way. And was like, oh, no, it's not fine. I mean, literally like that. Like, oh, whatevs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this happens with everything, right? And, and you can actually just every time Trump attacks someone, um, you just need to kind of cross-reference it with a previous statement. And you'll see that it's a complete, it's a ridiculous contradiction. You know, oh, like now, Mitch, so Ronna McDaniel and Kevin McCarthy, they're not the villains now, right? It's Mitch McConnell. Trump endorsed Mitch McConnell in 2020. Like this, it's just ridiculous. Like it's gaslighting. It's an attempt to get you to not focus on the fact that Trump is his worst enemy. And by extension, his movement's on worst enemy, right? And now the new thing is like, oh, he's attacking the club for growth. He, he called them the globalist group. Trump was buddy-buddy with the head of the club for growth. I know people will say, oh, well, the club for growth attacked him in, in you know, 2016 or whatever. Yeah, true. But until very, very recently, Trump was buddy-buddy with the head of club for growth. They hung out at Mar-a-Lago regularly. The guy flew on Air Force One and got personal shout-outs for Trump until, until they disagreed on yes. Oz. The club for growth attacked J.D. Vance. Trump didn't like that, but he was fine. Well, apparently that didn't break the friendship. Yes. Right? What really, what really broke the camel's back was, <laughs> of all things, was when the club for growth started attacking. Oz. I've noticed Dude, the common Oz. denominator there, Pedro. 
I've noticed it, that it's only one direction. The loyalty is only to the left side, not to the right. He'll throw the right over over the overboard if he disagrees on something, but the left somehow it's like the whether it's Elise Stefanik or Lindsey Graham, those types, it's like ironclad. They never fall out of his graces. But the loyalty, like you mentioned with Harmeet, the loyalty only seems to be one way. Yes. And I think that's ultimately what people need to understand because I think that the loyalty line is really powerful because it, it kind it's kind of like a moral it's it's an attack on your on your sense of morality, right? Like you don't want to be disloyal because there's something deeply immoral about being disloyal to someone yeah. that has done something to earn your loyalty, right? Because it, it suggests ingratitude. And I think for conservatives, that, that's uh, emotionally very powerful. But then when you actually look at how loyalty operates in this context, there's, it actually, it's loyalty to basically to just Trump, and not to anything higher. And, okay, why does that matter? Because the mandate is more important than the man. And when the man himself is betraying the mandate, who are you going to be loyal to? The guy who's undermining his own movement because of some personal fixations and issues or whatever? Or, or the mandate that is, that is supposed to be bigger than anything? And I, I think that's why I've, I've, I've started to make a distinction between MAGA Inc., because it's really just the new conservatism inc. And when Lindsey Graham is headlining Trump rallies for 2024, and when Trump is endorsing Kevin McCarthy and going to war with his own base for Ronald McDaniel, what is the difference between MAGA and conservatism inc.? And so, okay, so there's that, right? MAGA inc., we have to establish that that is a thing that exists and then separate it from the concept of America first. Because if you, I think if you conflate these two things you can, you can basically kiss whatever progress you've made in the last two years goodbye because it's going to be subsumed in this grift, in this conservatism ink grift that just has a red MAGA hat. And that's where I'm starting to see the convergence of con ink with MAGA ink. So it's standing down on COVID fascism. It's supporting McCarthy. It's it's supporting Oz. We're starting to see how they converge with each other. So we're getting the negatives of of MAGA Inc., but not the positives. Um, it's almost like the lowest common denominator, the LCD of the two establishments, the Trump establishment and the one that predated him. Um, could you speak of loyalty? Could you talk about what happened with Peter Navarro? Yeah. Oh man, this this honestly this makes my blood boil. And you want to talk about loyalty? I think there are Trump supporters who are way more loyal to Trump than they should be. And I think Navarro is one. They would never admit that because they're good people. But I think Navarro is one of these people. So you might, you might've forgotten this and most people have, and this is, this is why it's my thankless job to remind people of this stuff. But Peter Navarro publicly attacked Fauci when it mattered. He, he went after Dr. Fauci and this was in uh, the summer of 2020 and the Trump administration's response in the summer of 2020 was to critique, openly critique Navarro for attacking Fauci. Trump said that he shouldn't be doing that. And he said that basically everything Navarro wrote critically about Fauci was wrong. Yep. And that he and in the summer of 2020, Trump said, I have a good working relationship with Anthony. And then so so there's one. Right. And so if you don't know who Peter Navarro is. He was one of the only people uh, that survived the entire Trump administration who was actually not a grifter. He's actually a nationalist. You know, he actually believes in, yes. in bringing manufacturing back, unlike you know guys like Larry Kudlow and all uh, basically these conning types. That and were, and he also wrote, wrote the best screed on, <laughs> on how he believes the election was stolen. So, I mean, he was very right. loyal to Trump. Yeah, yes, extremely loyal. He's, a, he's an absolute true believer and again, I don't, I don't think you would ever say a bad word about Trump. But so, so that's, that was Peter's reward for, for publicly going after Navarro, was to immediately have people like Alyssa Farah and the Trump White House publicly disavow him and his statements in defense of Fauci. So that happens. And then later, we find out that there was actually a plan in the Trump administration to pass basically uh, – 
to, to hold a presidential commission that would investigate Fauci and funding for the Wuhan lab, basically to get to the bottom of where this came from and who was involved you know, in, in, the, in the origins of, of COVID. And then also to tr- attempt to hold China accountable for, for the pandemic, basically some kind of like reparations plan. You, you owe us something for, for doing this to us, right? But that whole thing, this is Peter, Peter Navarro said this, the whole thing was killed by Trump's economic advisors. Like he specifically named Larry Kudlow. So basically what, and again, Navarro is being very charitable. You know, he says, <laughs> there's a, it's a, a quote. He says, Larry Kudlow is an idiot. You can quote me on that. And that's actually the quote. Um, but basically Trump allowed his economic advisors to talk him out of holding Fauci accountable, investigating the Wuhan lab funding and holding China accountable. Why? Because it would, it would make for bad press. It would seem too partisan to do that. And this has been completely memory hold. And, and again, Navarro, who I think has, would have every right to be furious about what yes. happened, still is, is super loyal to Trump. Super loyal. And will still, still defend him. It's like all those and, people that literally gave their lives for him on January 6th. And a lot of people did a lot of suicides, everything. Even to the extent there is a movement focused on J6, and I think you know who, who I'm talking about, it does seem to be more of a concern about Trump's image itself rather than the people involved and then what it portends for the rest of conservatives, right-wingers in America um, on what yep. the FBI is doing. It's all about the man. Yep. Yeah, and, and look, I know that our side is not supposed to, to do this, but there's an article in the Washington Post by a guy named Aaron Blake. And this gets to the point of loyalty too, right? And how loyalty is a one-way street. So it's called Trump's opening volley at DeSantis doesn't make much sense. And it's not a very long piece. It's really well written. It's balanced. It's not, you know, it's, it's, uh, it has a very even, uh, even-handed tone. And all this guy is doing is saying why Trump's attacks on DeSantis for COVID don't make sense. And among other different things that he notes and he provides, you know, sources for everything, it's all very factual. He notes that Trump, at the same time that Trump was still basically telling people don't open up, he, remember, remember he, he, he tweeted this, that states don't have the ability to open back up. Only he and the federal government yes. have the ability to open, open states back up. And the same month that he tweeted that, he attacked the governor of Georgia. He, he publicly attacked him for, for, um, for he, he said that he, he was egregious what he was doing. And, and um, by the way, just so people remember, that's before the dust up over the election. A lot of people are upset with Brian Kemp over election yeah, fraud. That was before right. that. Yes. So he publicly attacks the governor. Of, uh, he publicly attacks Kemp in the same month that he says only the federal government can can open the states back up. And around that same time, around that same time, Florida was also starting to do like a really ambitious plan to to to, you know, to to, I guess, open everything back up. And in this article, Blake points out that Trump praised DeSantis, that he had spoken with him. And, and basically gave him his blessing and said, I think he's doing a great job. So in other words, DeSantis was ahead of Trump when it came to opening up. Trump was aware of it and, and publicly acknowledged that DeSantis was doing a good job by taking point on this issue. That has been completely memory hold. Now Trump is saying the opposite. I was leading from the front. DeSantis did a terrible job. Like it, so what but, I'm getting then, at is— But then as of last year, he was still saying his lockdown saved millions. Like, yes, I'm right. not even worried about what he said then when everyone was still didn't understand who did this, why this was right. done. It was a yes. new issue. It's like months after months after he still says that. And this is the yes. vanity that Trump's able to take every side of every issue so nothing matters. And it's like I want to move this discussion to some other issues, too, where and, and I'm glad we could have this openly because – too many people are scared of in their own skin, like they're not sufficiently right enough. So they have to like, you know, glum on to Trump. You know, you and I, our records stand for itself over the years. So I don't care. I mean, take it or leave it. We have our own agenda and it's not about uh, any particular political leader. Um, but the reality is he would say one thing and then the opposite, like then he'd be worse than any Democrat on those things. So whether it was illegal immigration, whether it was 
crime, whether it was yep. the rioting, whether it was all, a whole bunch of these things, he would always say A, and then yep. over time would be like, well, wait a minute, this is this is worse than anyone ever, like, you got to give him credit. When he does something, he does it bigly, and, and he'll do the left stuff, you know, bigger than anyone, and it's like, well, wait, I thought we were supposed to be yep. tough on crime, and that yep. was that critical era. Now everyone's a big hero on it, although no one's pushing policies um, other than fund the police, which is stupid, but – you know, when I was warning about deincarceration in the early 2010s, I was like, dude, we're reversing the two decade long decline. Why are we doing this? Why are we allowing the Koch brothers to to push this stuff? Why is everyone buying onto it? And Trump legitimately, before he became president, dating back to his book, he was always very consistent on that issue. He's very, you know, tough on crime type of guy. And I, I never saw that coming. Like, I knew he would be a disaster on a ton of things. I never saw this one. And then, yeah. boom, like, what Obama couldn't do, he accomplished. Yeah. And I think that, again, all you have to do is take something that he says and then check it against what he did in the past or, or even what he said in the past. But ultimately, actions speak louder than words. And if you look at these, like, statements that he's releasing, you know, he, he like, let's, let's talk about immigration. So he released a statement saying that Biden is doing a terrible job, which is true. But he, he, emphas- he emphasizes amnesty, and he says we can't have amnesty. It would be a disaster to propose amnesty. Trump was bragging about wanting to push an amnesty for DACA beneficiaries that was even bigger and more ambitious than anything Obama had proposed. He was, in other words, he was bragging about how he was going to give a more generous amnesty than Obama. And you had people like Mark Krikorian at the Center of Immigration, Center for Immigration Studies, which is an immigration restrictionist group. They're immigration, they're border hawks, right? And they were openly critical of that. They were saying, why are you, bra- why are you bragging about being more generous with amnesty than Obama? And that never went away. People want to pretend that it was just kind of an off-the-cuff thing, yeah. but it didn't. Remember that toward the end of Trump's presidency, he had let it slip in public that they were talking about amnesty for the second term. And then the MAGA Inc. spin spin machine activated. Oh, no, Trump just, you know, it it was a verbal flub. No, it wasn't. They were planning to do amnesty in the second administration. And the idea was like, oh, mission accomplished. We secured the border. We built the wall. They obviously didn't build the wall. But that was going to that was going to be the angle. We did everything we set out to do. Now we can do an amnesty. And and that's another thing that people forget about. I just want to mention this before we forget. It came up during um, the speaker's fight. One of the pieces that inspired and I believe grew the ranks from just a few to 20 rebels against McCarthy is a piece I wrote, and you remember it, um, listing McCarthy's history as majority leader, where every single budget that we had, every opportunity we had during that trifecta control actually had more Democrat support than Republican because it funded everything Ironically, everything under the sun. Then he was like, "I'm gonna cut it. I'm gonna eliminate." It. And every year, the president puts out puts out a budget blueprint in like February, yeah. um, February March, and you know it's an aspirational document. But everything he he promised to like eliminate with HUD and EPA and you know NPR, you know the typical kind of like you know wish list. It got doubled in funding every last thing, but not the border wall so much so that he famously had to go with executive orders and reprogramming DOD funding for that. And and the point is, it's like Elizabeth Warren did bring this up in debate recently, and I can't disagree. She's like, you had three debt ceiling increases that you gave blank checks and you had no problem with it. And I yelped about it at the time, but it's like – that's the thing. Nothing matters with this guy. He's yeah. he's able to accomplish. He's able to get the people in our movement that we could typically count on to fight the rhinos and the system to stand down. Yeah. No. And again, going back to this, this is, this is important, and you have to go through all of these. You know, Trump recently said that he's going to go to war with the cartels and specifically crack down on maritime drug smuggling. The first ep- the first step act included a provision that gave leniency to maritime drug smugglers. And and a lot of these guys are foreign nationals. In other words, the Trump administration gave unprecedented leniency to drug traffickers 
that, in, that allows basically judges to have the discretion to shorten their sentences. So I'm going to crack down on exactly the kind of people that I gave uh, sentencing leniency to in my first administration. And then China is buying up our country. That's his new, his, his new thing, right? That's, that's true, right? And Trump did do some thing, uh, good things against China, like tariffs. But at the same time, again, totally memory hold. Right at the end of his administration, and this is when it counts because the end of the first administration was telegraphing how the second administration was going to go. And right on the eve of COVID, when, when you know stuff started happening in the United States, the Trump administration was pushing a massive EB-5 visa increase. You wrote about this. Yep. These are visas that literally allow mostly Chinese investors to buy a path to citizenship through an investment. And the it Trump ties into the real estate, commercial real estate yes. industry is very into that. Literally buying up our country through real estate. And Trump wanted to lower the, the plan, which involved Lindsey Graham, by the way. <laughs> the plan was to lower the investment floor. So, so in other words, citizenship would cost less and also increase the number of visas available by like more than 600% or something, I think. I think you, you were the one that did that analysis, right? Yep, um, yep. And, it, and this was, was like during it, COVID, when COVID started. Yes. And that COVID is the only reason that it died, because it would become just indefensible to pass a visa giveaway for Chinese people amid the Chinese virus, right? Which is what Trump called it. And then his new thing is, you know, oh, hands off Social Security, uh, which is his new line right now, because he wants to sound populist again. Again, toward the end of his administration, they were talking about social, basically trading stimulus checks for, for Social Security checks. They, they wanted, like, they, they came up with this, like, half- uh, half-cocked idea to to basically undermine Social Security if you in exchange for getting like a COVID check. Yeah, it was, it was the, the worst of plan. all politics and policy yeah, it was mixed just, together. It was just like so ridiculous, and and like the timing was terrible. But now it's you know hands off Social Security, and you could like the list goes on and on and on. And the point is, is that almost no one on our side wants to actually hold a, Trump accountable on his own record, and part of it is fear. Like I'm not, I'm not benefiting from from telling people about this. Like you know, people no, think I that could, I'm I could tell folks. I could tell folks. Pedro <laughs> does not earn a lot of money. Um, Pedro earns less Thank money you. than I do, and I was eligible for the stimulus checks. So let's just, you know, I'm just going to put that out there, and and that's the thing. I mean, you know, we we put out a high quality work, and it is what it is. And you know, there are some better elements of the MAGA movement, but I don't see them like. I don't see the Steve Bannons, the Peter Navarros, like in Mar-a-Lago. I don't like the people around him now. I, I, I don't. It's just random. Like, who are they? It's mostly flatterers, which is the absolute worst oh, kind of gosh. people you can surround yourself with. I mean, I don't. I don't know how else to put it. It's it's flatterers and conning people. I mean, uh, Susie Wiles is the best example I can give people, and I I think that there has been this weird effort to kind of diminish her role in what she does at Mar-a-Lago. But if you don't know who she is, I mean, she's as establishment as they come. She actually used to work with DeSantis, but they had some kind of a falling out, which I think might, there might be something going on there where she's kind of like contributing to Trump yeah. and his paranoia about the governor. But the, the point is, is that the, the woman who is considered like the Trump gatekeeper, who again, runs his pack, his fundraising operations, the, the woman who vets candidates for endorsements for Trump is is cut straight out of conservatism, Inc., to the extent that, like I said, she's literally getting paid hundreds of thousand dollars yeah. by the RNC at the same time that she's publicly attacking Trump's own supporters for opposing Rana. These are the kinds of people that he surrounds himself with. Those and obviously, like I said, flatterers. Oh, gosh. I mean, that's the thing. I look at this and objectively, I just don't I could forgive everything. And there's a lot there. Like you said, that I've gotten memory hold. There is a lot. I mean, I'm not going to review it. We we followed in. And look, I was always consistent. I praised him when he was good. I prodded him when he needed more prodding. And I went after things that were really a big problem. Um, you know, the, the rioting. He's a big hero on rioting. But we had the worst riots under his <laughs> Stewardship and okay, that first night in Minneapolis it got out of control. Fine, but we've had things get out of control in the past. But every time Republican, Democrat, whoever was the governor, whoever was, was the president, it never did a second night. A set. Then we were on it, 
and it went on and on and on. Describe yeah, what happened yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, like that, that's another statement that he recently issued, right? He, he, I think talking about the rioting in Atlanta and elsewhere, he said that we've never seen anything like this before. Just take a moment to, to soak that in. We've never seen rioting like this before. We've seen worse. And it happened under Trump, who allowed his advisors, namely Jared Kushner, Brooke Rollins, and Jerron Smith, remember this, another thing that went down the memory hole, that, that they convinced him that cracking down on rioting would look racist. Yep. So what was the Trump administration's response to the most destructive riots in modern American history? Because that's what they were. Even Axios, this like lefty uh, news outlet, ran this story saying that like, you know, if we look at insurance receipts, the George Floyd riots were the most destructive riots in modern American history. And what was the Trump administration's response? $500 billion in reparations, more criminal justice reform, the platinum plan. That was the response to the most destructive rioting in recent history. And now Trump is saying we've never seen anything like Atlanta before, or, you know, whatever's going on in Memphis. We did actually, and far, far worse under him. It's just, it, it all goes down the memory hole. And, you know, people will point out, to, oh, well, Chad Wolf deployed guys in camouflage to like Portland or something. And, and they, you know, they threw a couple of people in vans and drove them off. The vast majority of George Floyd rioters got off with a slap on the wrist. And that whole operation that, you know, was where you had these guys in camo and they were like arresting organizers or whatever that lasted like a week. And it was, it was literally a publicity stunt by Chad Wolf, who was terrible on immigration, by the way, one of the worst people on immigration did nothing to build I the thought his wall. nomination. And that was again, the second yeah. appointee. Okay. You make a mistake yeah. on your first one. This was the second one. I mean, we could go on forever and ever and relitigate <laughs> those years, but the point is, it's like you look at him and I was hoping at least, okay, now, you know, cause just all the rhinos hate him for their own reasons and they're scared about electability. Yeah. So maybe he'll only be with hardcore people, but they're not anything. They're just flatterers, grifters, weirdos. I mean, there's no strategic thinking. There's no understanding what it, what is it we want other than politics and personality itself. Yep. It's it's nonstop. And, and again, you're right. I mean, you know, I could say a lot of my issues and it will be universal. The minute I mention Trump, it's it's never going to gain me, people. You could only lose because still yep. a good percentage of hardcore, you know, conservative listeners like Trump. Um, there's nothing there. Uh, but I'm not going to shy away from it. Now, I'm not going to obsessively focus on this every day. We wanted to do one show today because, you know, this fight has gone pretty public with him and DeSantis. Uh, it looks like a reporter just asked DeSantis about it. And DeSantis kind of gave like a generic answer, didn't go specifically into Trump. Um, but, you know, what he's doing speaks for itself. I think Trump, even though he's not currently elected like DeSantis, he could do the same thing. He could travel around to these state legislatures and hold rallies, pushing for legislation, pushing for the right policies, pushing for the right primary you know, candidates. He could do that. He could be that leader, yeah. that great equalizer that we're struggling to gain traction with. And he could he could get these people to do that. But, you know, it, it doesn't like like I said, look at Liz Cheney. We have Liz Cheney's everywhere. They're the they're the rule, not the exception. Why yeah. were we able to get her out? Because of Trump's personality. That's the only thing that got him on there. And she got less than 30%. That legislature is full of Liz Cheney's. But it yeah. doesn't matter because they didn't offend Trump's personality. So then it doesn't matter. So then yeah. they could crush us on all the issues. But I'm just sick of our whole life mattering. Like... Pre-COVID, I think we had the luxury of maybe focusing on politics. But this has reached a point where I don't I don't care. I mean, we're fighting for our lives and I just don't care anymore. I don't I don't in my past life I would be dancing from the rooftops at the prospect of someone like DeSantis running for president. I'm so beyond that that I think we're so lost. I don't even think anyone running for president's going to matter at this point. Um, and I think we need to come up with innovative strategies on what we're going to do. But certainly, it does help to have someone that messages the right issues, gets it done. And it certainly doesn't help for someone to message the wrong issues. Um, final thoughts before we sew up. No, I think that's right. Um, look, 
I don't like being the guy who is screaming about the disconnect between Trump's rhetoric and his record. It, it doesn't profit me much to do that at all. But I'm doing it precisely because there are good people who still support him and believe in him. Yes. I mean, you know what? The, the biggest indicator of this is the fact that he's the king of small dollar donations for people who don't have a lot of money to give, yep. but give it because they're desperate and they put their hope in him. And it just feels like I have an obligation to point out to them that Trump is is leading them astray and that this is entirely about him. I've never attacked Trump supporters. I like I am America first. I I defend Trump supporters and the things they care about, their anxieties and their aspirations because they're my own, but I also feel like you you know you have to defend them from Trump himself. Otherwise, you're just yep. lying to yourself or you're grifting. And we could debate the past, but I think what everyone needs to ask is henceforth what is his value add henceforth you know everyone has diminishing returns in politics everyone has their time their place where we sit now with the issues with what we're confronted with in 2023 what is the value add of that man and not what you think he is and what you're projecting upon him but look at what he's doing what he's saying what he's focused on why he's focused on it, the, the people around him, and I, I just, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it, and it's hard to remain silent about the 800-pound gorilla in the room, which shouldn't be. You shouldn't have any one person. The left is, you know what I love about the left? The f- rise of the Fourth Reich occurred when? Under a guy who's a scarecrow. He's a, he's a nothing. He's, he's a dead man walking. Biden is not the leader. He's a he's a reflection of it. He's a nothing because yep. they have a movement. It's not about one person. They could stick up a, a half dead guy for president. They have everything down from the NGOs to the county Democrats to the state Democrats. They have a bigger movement. The left has a bigger movement in Wyoming than we do in Wyoming, much less their you know official states. You know they have everything. There's not a single subcommittee of a tiny legislative committee in a tiny rural red state that the left is not engaged on every single issue. Our yep. side is, doesn't exist. We just want, Oh, who's going to run for president? Like, no, yep. that's kind of like putting one log in a campfire and dumping a bunch of lighter fluid and having a second, like where it bursts up. And he, you know, you got to build a movement and we don't have one. And people yep. who thought that conservative ink would be replaced with this MAGA movement in many respects, it almost seems like we've gone backwards for the you know reasons we talked about. Where could people find more about your work? Really, the hub of everything I do is at contra.substack.com. If I, I I publish original writing and analysis there, I also will share you know interviews and other work that I do outside of that, like this like this um, interview they're having right now. So that's that's really I think the best place to find me is because I've also got links to my social media accounts there at contra.substack.com. Truly independent material, substance. That's what we need. Substance and independent. Folks, we're way out of time, but I think this was worth it. Uh, if you have a comment question for, for Pedro and myself, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com is the email at RM Conservative on Twitter. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.